Well, Merry Christmas to all of you, a joyful Christmas to each and every one of you, a joyful and Jesus-filled Christmas to you. All of you here, those of you watching live stream, I know some folks in Alabama are watching right now that I'm kind of fond of. I'm grateful for that. Well, it's Christmas again, and uh, I can't tell you the joy of watching one Christmas commercial after another or trying to read some article and just popping out of the middle of my reading the article comes something that I happen to look at once and now it just litters the whole screen. I'm sure you've experienced that. But I wanted to bring to you a couple of ads from the past that you definitely won't see anymore. These would not appear on social media. These would not appear on television. They would not appear in periodicals. And for reasons you'll see in a moment, you'll certainly understand why. Of course, ladies, of course, your husbands will know what you want for Christmas. Yes, Christmas morning, she'll be happier with a Hoover. Now, if you can, I don't know if you can see or not, but it's not really off the screen, but at the bottom corner, left corner, it says, P.S. to husbands. She cares about her home, you know. So if you really care about her, wouldn't it be a good idea to consider a Hoover for Christmas? <laughs> Low down payments, easy terms. See your Hoover dealer now, and you may just be seeing your divorce attorney later. <laughs> and I had, you know, I had no idea that Santa Claus was actually a spokesperson for the tobacco industry in the 50s. Did you know that? Well, here's, here's proof. Yep. <laughs> I, I love this. Guard against throat scratch. I mean... You just, you know, you just can't have a good raspy ho, ho, ho. It's got to be clear. And pell-mell cigarettes will really provide that for you. So, all you amateur Santas out there. But then, you know, he obviously also did some work, not just for pell-mell, but for Lucky Strike. Here, here's, um, if it'll come up, it, I think, please come up. There we go. There, there's Santa. Now, you can see Santa here, and he must have given a little bit more money because he wrote a special note for each of us. Okay, and, and here's Santa's note. My spirit, the spirit of Christmas giving, is abroad in the land. A gift that expresses that spirit and brings pleasure to every home, both great and small, is rare indeed. Such a gift, my friends, is lucky strike. <laughs> and possibly lung cancer as well. But, and then... Of course he signs it so we know it's really him um yeah back then jolly old saint nicholas he was better known as jolly old saint nicotine <laughs> but hey are you thinking about having a christmas party catered well here's your answer here's your answer it's coming it'll be here any second now yes oj's catering <laughs> yes and and if you if you reserve catering today a pair of oven gloves are thrown in with every catering order. But there is no guarantee that the gloves will fit. <laughs> uh. Oh, hey, I know we all love to go Christmas shopping after Christmas, right? Who loves to go Christmas shopping after Christmas? Of course, of course. Well, I have news for you. I have found out where the best after Christmas sales are going to be found this year. That's where they are. Just paddle your way out there. Just go through every one of those. You'll, you'll find something, I'm, I'm sure. Well, let's just, let's just get to a, a bit of Christmas theological controversy about the wise men from the far side. You know, we argue about how many wise men maybe there actually were. Well, unbeknownst to most theologians, there we go. Unbeknownst to most theologians, there was a fourth wise man who was turned away for bringing fruitcake. <laughs> now, just bring it all to me. My wife, love fruitcake. Well, after that, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, so many of us love the feeling of this season. But Lord, not all of us do. Lord, for those among us who do not... Would you fill in all those aching holes in each of our hearts that you are Emmanuel? Only you can fill. 
For those who are suffering through the devastation of, God, these tornadoes, the many sufferings that this fallen world brings, would you envelop them in your comfort and draw us, draw us, your church, to be your heart, to be your arms, your legs to them. Oh, Father, this morning, remind us of what Christmas is and why Christmas is at all. Lord, I truly ask you, we ask you, protect us now from our minds straying to Christmas lists of things we have yet to do and purchase. And focus us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, on Jesus, the one who came to purchase us. In your name we pray. Amen. Now picture this. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in a garden. Uh, not just any garden. The garden. The Garden of Eden. Forever in unity and thought and fellowship and love. They were somehow present in this garden called Eden. And coming forth from that infinite love unfolded the plan that was forever in the Godhead's heart. The creation of the heavens and the earth that he may delight in all of his work. And though all of creation was glorious, stamped with his signature of perfect artistry and craftsmanship, that which would most declare and resemble the Godhead would be the two God would call man. God blessed them and said to them, let me just get this up here. God blessed them and said to them, go forth, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with a seed in it, you shall have them for food. The King James Version says you shall have them for meat. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you like to fish? You like to fish? Oh, absolutely. How many like to eat fish? Certainly. How many like to hunt? I know some of you are hunters in here. How many like to eat meat? Well, let me just break it to you. If there were not the fall, we would all be vegans. <laughs> Every one of us. And the crazy thing is we'd like it. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, maybe Adam fell for a different reason. Maybe he's like, these plants? Forever? No meat? Really? So, we're not sure of that. But God had made fish, birds, and creatures that would roam the earth in abundance. But God made but one man, and then two. One male and female. He created them. And as God completed the work of man, God added to what was called good an adverb. An adverb God would use in the creation of man that he would not call good. But he would call very good. Our word very hardly describes what God meant leading Moses to place this word very before good. The Hebrew word carries with it great emotion and great passion. Words such as vehemently, fervently, superlatively, intensely good, especially exceedingly good, loudly good. It comes from a similar word, which means to rake together, as if God had taken all the ingredients in his celestial cupboard and put them together to create man, his magnum opus. And we cannot begin to sense the pure joy and emotion of God when that which was always in his heart was now before him in time and in space. I mean, what did Michelangelo emote as he finished carving the statue of David or painting the walls of the Sistine? Or what was the joy of Leonardo da Vinci as he completed the Mona Lisa? I mean, two, you notice, two Italians. So, um, but it took Michelangelo almost five years to complete the statue of David, which I'd like to have up on the screen right now. Uh, or the Sistine Chapel. Or, and da Vinci, six, two years for the Sistine Chapel, five years to complete what many would argue is the most famous 
of all paintings, the Mona Lisa. Now, recently, there have been some efforts to upgrade the Mona Lisa. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. Uh, and I thought you are, that those of you who are art lovers would really appreciate these, these amazing new renderings of the Mona Lisa. Here is the Corona Lisa. <laughs> and then for all the millennials and, and uh, some of those Gen Zers, you've got here the Selfie Fona Lisa. <laughs> so you may want to check these out. I think they may be on sale. They may be in one of those tankers off the coast. But God created the ones, you can take that off the screen now. <laughs> God created the ones who would create in a matter of moments. Beyond their, that's my most favorite word ever, beyond their physicality. I love that word, physicality. <laughs> Only used in sports, I think. He would call them the bearers of his image. God gave them dominion on and over the world that God himself created. And to Adam and Eve, God was Emmanuel, God with them. We can only wonder what those times in the garden with God were like as he came to them in the cool of the day. There is no reason to believe God and Adam and Eve did not have great enjoyment together. I, I don't know this, obviously, but would it be unlikely that God could have sung over them, sung with them, just greatly delighting in the presence of one another. Well, we know how much God loves singing. He sang over Israel. In Zephaniah 3.17, we have that God sings over his fallen people whom he will redeem to be with him forever. Here's what Zephaniah wrote. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. The New American Standard says a victorious warrior. He will rejoice over you. I mean, just get this picture. He, God, will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Loud singing connotes a great and exuberant victory, a celebratory, a celebratory roar of conquest. How joyfully more, how joyfully more would God sing over us his first created beings were sinless, face to face with God, experiencing pure and limitless joy and fellowship, perfectly bearing his image. What would he have sung over his image bearers that his love and heart for them would be fully expressed and known to them? Perhaps God sang, maybe the many songs God sang over them, he sang this song, Emmanuel. Perhaps a form of Emmanuel in a pre-fallen man arrangement. Something like this. I'm here with you, I'm your Emmanuel. I've made you mine that your soul may be well. All that you need I grant you by grace. My presence here, so look upon my face. Rejoice, rejoice, I'm your Emmanuel. I'm with you always that you'll safely dwell. And that was, oh, please. <laughs> I just clapped because I stopped. And that was Earth's glorious song. It was the song of the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above. Everything was love. God with them, Emmanuel. Until that day. Adam and Eve had been forewarned. But for reasons we do not know. They acted like they were not forearmed. How long did it take Adam and Eve. To grow numb to Emmanuel's song. And then reject it. Replacing the love song of their great creator. With the song that would become man's funeral dirge. The song of the great deceiver. And Adam and Eve opened their mouths to eat of the tree, of the fruit, and opened their hearts to sing the song of their captor, the one who, of whom they had forfeited rulership over the earth and fellowship over their now betrayed lover and creator. God, their mighty fortress, was replaced with the God of death and distress. 
to antithetically quote the great song of Martin Luther, they did not heed there was an ancient foe who sought to do them woe, nor that his craft and power were, were great. He was armed with cruel hate, and they were not his equal. In their own strength, they did confide. Hence their striving, it was losing. They put the wrong man on their side, not the one of God's own choosing. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He, catch this word, he drove the man out. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim, that's more than one, multiple, at least two cherubs, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And for now, sin and darkness grow, and thorns infest the ground. No more did God make his blessings flow, and so near the curse was found. That intruder, that malevolent minstrel, who before creation, before he rebelled according to Isaiah 14, had the songs of God flowing out from his very being. That serpent, that Lucifer, God had banished from his presence along with a third of the angels, now demons. And now, the God who was always with the first couple, who had been their light and given them life, the God who sang over them, was no longer with them and was no longer to them Emmanuel. There was now enmity between God and man. They would not again know God as they had known him. They had become enemies of God. Their rebellion would unleash death and destruction upon themselves and upon billions and billions and billions of souls and upon the entire earth for thousands of years up to the very day we live in. It appeared darkness had won. It appeared the right had failed, the wrong prevailed. The world had fallen and been cast into darkness, and hate would become strong, and it would mock the song of peace on earth, for there was no more peace on earth, goodwill to men. And man became increasingly hate-filled, willing prisoners of the prince of the power of the air, the liar the father of lies. Yet, God's plan of redemption would unfold in the fullness of time. Christmas was coming. You and I awoke, awoke into this weary world on the day of our birth to lots of rejoicing, at least I, I hope, but there were no angels, no wise men, thankfully, no dirty shepherds. Um, perhaps a nurse, a doctor, parents, grandparents, friends, family, siblings. But no big deal. On this event, you and I have absolutely no recollection. And we had absolutely nothing to do with it. But nonetheless, though born a Loria, or a Chala, or a Collins, or an Abbott, or a Coe, or a Sloan, we were all born into Adam's fallen race, into the one big unhappy fallen family, all related to Adam, born with his fallen spiritual DNA inside of each of us. If Ancestry.com or 23andMe could do a spiritual spit test, it would all come back the same once we got through our ethnic genealogy. It's interesting, I had my daughter and uh, Son-in-law gave me a 23 and me, and it came back among many other things that in me is Neanderthal. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but, but our ancestry dates all the way back, regardless of Irish, Italian, African, Asian, it all dates back to Adam. We are descendants of Adam, since, hence, though born alive physically, we are born dead and separated from God. 
spiritually. But we were so dang cute. I almost brought my baby picture, but I thought it would be too distracting. Um, we looked so innocent, yet at the very, <clears throat> excuse me, the very core of our being was a growing and ever expanding desire to have what we want when we wanted it and the heck with everybody else. As we grew older, we grew in shrewdness and self-focused deception and capacity to do the things our way, craving, lusting to be the captains of our own fate and the masters of our own soul. Colossians 1.13 states that our spiritual home address was 666, dominion of darkness. And it explains why we were darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in us. Due to our hardness of heart, we were callous and had given ourselves up. We had given ourselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And though we knew God, that literally in the, in the Greek there, they knew about God. We did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. But we became futile in our thinking and our foolish, our foolish hearts. Every one of our foolish hearts was darkened. But we were not just in a dark place that needed us to be released from so that we could show that on the inside we were really good. Paul informs the Ephesians and us of a much more horrific fact. We weren't just clothed in darkness or wrapped in darkness. We ourselves were darkness. From the inside out, Paul wrote, you were once darkness. It describes us in the very essence of it. Every part of us, as much as you could dissect us, everything spiritually was darkness no good to be found darkness was our identity because adam was our father we were dead in the trespasses of our sins in which we walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature, by nature because we were in Adam, by nature separated from God, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. For as Paul wrote, in Adam, all die. Everyone dies. Now, through what we call Noah's flood, God would destroy the sons of Adam and the creatures of the earth, all but Noah's, Noah and his family. Now, two generations later, he would confound mankind's languages and disperse them across the globe when Noah's great-grandson, Nimrod, don't you love that name, Nimrod? Like, what a Nimrod. Uh, he attempted to build a tower to heaven to a tower to heaven. And through the centuries, kingdoms rose and kingdoms fell. But no earthly kingdom rose above that of the serpent, the god of this world. None could escape from his snare, having been captured by him to do his will, as Paul tells Timothy. He was the prince of darkness grim, but God would not relent to him. His rage God did endure. God knew his doom was sure. And in his time, his son would surely fell him. God continued to reveal his redemptive plan through his prophets to those he wanted for his own. Directing them through life in a fallen, evil world filled with God's enemies. But no prophet from the past not Adam, not Moses, not David, nor Elijah could once and for all defeat this foe. They could not, nor were they designed to. But they honored God and they did their part as John the Baptist. They prepared the way for the invasion of the Lord to redeem his beloved yet captured world and all that was in it. Yes, darkness had invaded light. But soon, 
the God who is nothing but light would invade darkness. And when the fullness of time had come, God would send forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that those he chose might receive adoption as sons. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, as many may think. Why did God not send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because the world's already condemned. That's why. But he sent his son into the world in order that the world through him would be saved. Would be saved. Christmas, Christmas, God unleashed heaven upon hell. And to hell, that was hell. He did so with the advent of a newborn babe, his son. And this son would grow in wisdom and stature before God and man. He would face every temptation that darkness would throw against him. This same serpent would press the son of man, this second Adam, to fall to the same temptations as the first Adam. But this son, this one whose very name speaks God's promise of redemption, Jesus, Jehovah, our salvation. This one whose very name is brandished upon the hearts of all who believe would reject this evil deceiver using God's word as a most powerful two-edged sword. And this son, Emmanuel, God again with us for the joy set before him. Now think about this. The immeasurable joy of God in the garden. Immeasurable. That same joy comes to earth. And that same joy, with that same joy, for that joy that was set before him, Christ goes to a cross. Because he is so excited about winning back those he will redeem to himself. What a thrill of hope. What glorious joy for all of us. This son again with us for the joy set before him obeyed his father. Even to death that through his death mankind you and I would be rescued forever from the curse of sin and death. By him who paid the sacrificial price for our sinfulness. Extricating us from Adam's family. The dominion of darkness. And relocating us in the kingdom. Forever in the kingdom of God's beloved son. What unspeakable joy. He, he's, come to, he's come the rod of Jesse to free us all from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell his people to save, and give us victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to us to free us all from hell. Nineteen years after I was born into this fallen world, God gave me spiritual life as I received his gift of life. And I was born again at the close of a church service in Baton Rouge at Bethany Baptist Church. God took me at that moment, took me out of darkness's grips, placed me into the kingdom of his beloved son. I was taken out of Adam, placed into Christ. Death and sin no longer had its hold on me. He opened my heart to believe that I needed rescuing. I'd never believed that. I needed rescuing. I didn't need improving. I needed rescuing. And that he was my forever liberator. But I wasn't just delivered from something. Nor were you delivered some, from something if you were born again. We were actually delivered to something. Better said, we were delivered from someone. Someone who hated us and longed for our death. Right? The thief comes but to. That's all he does. 24-7, 365. The thief comes. Oh, if we believe this, we would live differently. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and to destroy. Yeah, we weren't just delivered from that someone. We were delivered to someone who loved us and gave himself for us 
the Lord Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I love this scripture because it doesn't say Christ just died to forgive us, which I'm so grateful that he did. He didn't just forgive us and put us over a corner and say, now don't bother me. He gave himself for us, the righteous for us, the unrighteous, that he might usher us into the presence of his father who loves us with an everlasting love. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, because of Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, much more, so much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. You know that this morning, you got abundance of grace. Not only have the abundance of grace, you have, if you are in Christ this morning, you have the free gift of righteousness so that you can reign in life, with Christ's life, through the one man, Jesus Christ, victorious over sin, death, and every challenge that this world will bring to us. Because Christ, our only hope of glory, is alive in we whom he has called to himself and saved. I have a question. You here this morning, you watching live stream, have you received that gift? If not, why not let today be that day? Embrace the God who has come for you, as he's come for us to rescue you. Confess to him how much you need him and bow your heart to his lordship over your life. Right where you are, right now. Why not? Has anybody ever made you a better offer than the gift of total forgiveness, eternal life with him, power to live through the hell of this world? I mean, this gift never leaves. This gift of Jesus never leaves. This gift of Jesus never breaks. This gift of Jesus never needs new batteries. This gift of Jesus is all we need. Christ is Lord. Christmas is God coming to deliver us from sin. And I just want to ask you right now. You're watching. You're here. I just want to stop for a moment. Jesus has done the work. He has come to us. Now, all he asks is for our hearts to prepare him room. And you could just, even this moment, just say, Jesus, come into my life. Invade my darkness. Remove me from darkness. Forgive me my sins. Take me out of Adam's cursed family and place me into Christ. I need you. I want you. I desire new life in you. Thank you for coming and saving me. Think about this. If there were no sin, there would be no Christmas. Said another way, Christmas is because sin is. Have you thought about that way? Christmas is because of our sin. Christmas is the invasion of God into a weary and fallen world to save us from Satan's power because we'd all gone astray. And the weapon that resurrected and ascended king of kings uses to destroy the works of the evil one... <clears throat> That weapon, do you know what that weapon is? I hope you know that, what that weapon is. That weapon, that weapon is greater than any nation's army that has ever assembled on planet Earth. That otherworldly weapon is the body of Christ. The church, the church that each one of us who are in Christ are a part of, joined and fitted together. Christmas is God coming into Satan's stolen territory. And taking back what is his by the Holy Spirit. Using each and every one of us in Christ united together to continue and complete the purpose and the plan of our Lord. For he came to seek and to save that which is lost by destroying the works of the evil one. The prince of the power of the air and his evil army of demons. Christ's ministry, we must know, did not end with his ascension into heaven. Christ's invasion of darkness continues. It continues through each of us, his redeemed image bearers. I mean, who else? Do, do we feel that? Do we know that? Church, we must. 
God has called us, chosen us, qualified us. God has anointed us. That's what John writes in, in the second chapter of 1 John. For we have an anointing from God. And we know it. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we believe that second part of that verse. The word of God says, church, you have an anointing from God. Maybe it should be a question. D do you know that? Do you realize that? In Luke 4, Jesus has gone to Nazareth. As was its custom, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And they give him the scroll of, and he opens to Isaiah. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now I'm going to read that to you again. Read a little bit differently. But so that you and I hear it. And hear God speaking this, his word to you this morning. You ready? The spirit of the Lord is upon you. Because he has anointed you to proclaim news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and recovering of sight, blindness, darkness into light, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who are still in Adam, to proclaim the Lord's favor. Do you believe that? You may say, no, 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 wait. That's the spirit that was in Jesus, Frank. You're getting a little carried away here. You know, you get this microphone. You're standing in front of everybody. You're just getting a little too excited. Um, that's, it's not the same spirit that's in me that was in Jesus. Really? Well, beloved, if you believe that, I just want to encourage you. You've swallowed Satan's lie whole. Let me just back that up. Romans 8, 11. Paul writes, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Now, does the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you? Yes, he does. He does if you're in Christ. In John 20, 21, the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so send I you. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. How did the Father send the Son? In the power of the Spirit. As he sent the Son, so he sends us in the same power of the Spirit. That Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Is that of no little issue to us? And now the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. We who are the redeemed of the Lord are to say so. That's, at least that's what the psalmist said. I assume he was, he was anointed by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to write this. Psalm 107.2 tells us, the redeemed of the Lord shall say so. Those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. The redeemed of the Lord might say so, could say so, if it's convenient, could say so. They feel like it should say so. I don't read that. But that's how I read it in my life too often. The redeemed of the Lord. What does it say, church? Shall say so. Those whom he has redeemed. Catch this. This is why. You've been redeemed from the curse of the enemy. Has anybody ever seen the pictures from, from the end of World War II? You ever seen those pictures? Maybe even pictures of the saints just winning the Super Bowl. Okay. Just, what do those pictures look like? What do the, I mean, ticker tape parades. People going crazy. For a temporary war being over. He has redeemed us. From the hand. Of our eternal enemy. What should that look like? Are we the redeemed of the Lord? Of course. Are we rejoicing that all of our sins have been forgiven? Are we glad that we've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy? Oh God. Taken from the kingdom of darkness, placed into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Are we glad that hell is no longer 
our future and forever home? Yes. Hallelujah, we are. Amen. Then we must be. If we're, if we're glad about that, then we really got to be glad about this. That somebody cared enough for us. They cared enough for us to let their light so shine before us. And brought the good news to us. To reveal to us that we were in darkness. God gives us the privilege to joyfully invade others' darkness through his gracious command. You are the light of the world. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? These people are going, what the heck? The light of the world. Um, But you are the light of the world. So don't hear that. Let's not go back to the first century. Let's just go back to December 19th, uh, 2021. Uh, You are the light of the world. A A city set on a hill, what does it say? Cannot be hidden. So you put a city on a hill. Why do you put a city on a hill that everybody can see it? And that city on the hill can then see things below it and can see the darkness below it and in love know how to care to for and reach into that darkness. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't take a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So that you may see, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I, I love that word let. It doesn't say make forcibly. It just says let. Breathe. Just let the air go out. Let the air come in. Don't resist. Allow. Jesus said when the Spirit comes on you, comes on you out of your very being, now light in the Lord will Burst forth, just come forth, rivers of living, light-giving, life-giving water. That's coming out of you. It's coming out of me. It's coming out all of the redeemed of the Lord who have the great privilege that nobody else can do. Say so with our lives and with our words. Let your light shine before. We've just heard these scripture verses too long. We don't know what they mean anymore. They don't mean much to us. We've got to be reignited to these words. Let your light shine before others that they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They give glory. They give glory to our Father who is in heaven. How? From their sins being forgiven and being one to the living God. Simply. Truthfully. Powerfully. We are the light We are light in the Lord, shining in this world of darkness. For the release of Satan's captives, God has appointed and anointed us. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Ah, Temples of the Holy Spirit, saints of God, ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ. To declare to those without him. The praises of him. Calling those without Christ out of darkness to his marvelous light. For we are. This is what we are. We're a fragrance of Christ God. We're a fragrance of Christ God. To those with life, fragrance of life. To those in death, fragrance of death. It's as if God was making his appeal through us, Paul tells the Corinthians. As if God were making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. The Great Commission, as many of us have heard, is not the great suggestion. We hear this commission at the beginning of Acts, and we hear it at the end of Matthew's Gospel. These are the last words, I believe, that Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And hear them, him speaking those to us. But you... You, 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 me, we will receive power. It doesn't say it might happen. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Do we believe that we received power when the Holy Spirit came upon us? So that we would be his witnesses. In Jerusalem, wherever your Jerusalem happens to be, or your Samaria, wherever that happens to be, or Judea, and to the very ends of the earth. God has put his spirit on us and in us. 
to be someone, not do something. He's made us witnesses so that from our life comes the life and the sounding of a witness. Matthew 28, 18, 20. If you go out the front door here, you'll see a little brass foot, foot plating there. And it says this. And Jesus came to his own, came and said to them, he says to us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Again, could we hear Jesus say that to us this morning? Could we hear this verse maybe for the very first time? All authority has been given to me. And since all authority has been given to me, I want you to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, to the end of darkness. See, because all authority has been given to Christ. Where is Christ now? All authority has been given to this Christ. Where is he now? Right here. He's in everyone. So because he has all authority and he now lives in us, we are anointed, appointed, qualified, chosen, called to go. And while we're going, that's what the word actually means. Go and while you're going. Live and while you're living. Do the dishes and while you're doing the dishes. Engineer and while you're engineering. Make disciples of all men. Teaching them. I'm always with you. I got this. The battle of Christmas. God's D-Day invasion. Where God's son came to. Forgive this. The beaches of Bethlehem. To liberate the captives of Satan. Hmm. To liberate the captives of Satan's occupation of each of us. Now look, don't say this morning, look, this, this is a message for evangelists. Look, I'm no Keith Collins. You may say that. I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no Tim Keller. Uh, hmm, that scripture is really not for me. Uh, don't say, well, I, you know, I've just not been given the gift of evangelism. That's for other people. Um, Maybe that's true. There is an office of the evangelist. Um, but you have been gifted and called to share as he called and chose you in the gifts in which he's given you, in the way in which he's given you, in the opportunities in which he's given you. Because the evangelist, hear me, the evangelist, the liberator, the one who's the greatest evangelist for all time. Jesus Christ lives in you. He's the great evangelist. He's the great liberator. So how in the, is, it, is it possible that if Christ is alive in me, his words are not oozing and his life not oozing out of me? Scary? Sure. Awkward? Yep. But guess what? You don't have to guess what because the word says it. You have been called out of darkness. I have been called out of darkness to declare how great this, how great this liberation, this liberated life is. The, this exuberant, victorious darkness invading, invading God loved us and invaded our darkness at Christmas so that, among other wonders, we would love others as he and we would invade those others' darkness. And as we go to them and they receive the light, they invade other people's darkness. And those others are, go forth and they invade other people's darkness. And light has come. And light comes. And light grows. In Genesis 1.27, the triune God declares, let us make man in our own image. And he told them to go forth and multiply. In Matthew 28... 18, the same God declares to his disciples to go and make disciples. God made the first man in the garden to be his image bearers and be fruitful and multiply. But man rebelled. And now he has chosen his new creation image bearers to go and bring forth children, to multiply children whom he will call through us out of darkness and place into his glorious light for the populating of his heavenly kingdom where one day we will all gather, we will all gather around Emmanuel's throne. 
where there will be no more war, there will be no more night, there will be no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. So to each of us, I know our Lord says, church, my beloved, fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Finish the race. There is laid up for you, my beloved, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award you on that day. And not only to you, but also to all who have loved his appearing. For the Lord your God, for the Lord our God is in our midst. A mighty one who saves, a victorious warrior. He now rejoices over us. You see God rejoicing over us even this moment. Can you believe, do you believe the God of all glory who longed to redeem you and have you near him and to be used by him so that others would know this love? He is in our very midst. He is in us. He rejoices over us with gladness, yet he will be quiet in his love. He exalts. <laughs> I, just, I just have fun trying to picture this. He exalts over us with Loud singing. Loud singing. If we like enjoyment and exuberance, how much more the one that created us. Steve Green wrote this song to which I changed a word to make it more contemporary. I took the word man and I made it church. Oh, church of God, arise. Take up your sword and shield. Your foe has no defense against the power they wield. Christ has gained the victory. The outcome is assured. Satan is defeated by the power of God's word. O church of God, arise and face the eastern skies. For Christ will soon descend with lightning in his eyes. Then our ancient foe, long vanquished, will meet his rightful end. And sin's dark night of terror will never fall again. Lift up the cup of holiness. Drink long and take your fill. O oh, church of God, arise to carry out, to carry out God's will. For as the Father sent Jesus... To invade darkness. So he calls us, sends us to continue the good fight until the day we are with him together forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent your son at Christmas to invade and rescue us from the darkness that we were to be eternally captured in. We were helpless and hopeless, Father. Lord, we were ignorant and callous, but you, because of your immeasurable love for us, restored us to you through the cross. Your light came into our darkness. Now, Father, convict us of the fact that you saved us to be with you, to love our fellowship. And from that would be fruit, Fruitfulness of being with you, experiencing and loving you. Now, Lord, let that joy of our oneness with you, Lord, rise up in our hearts that we will be the church of God arising to more joyfully obey the great privilege we have, declaring the praises of you who have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Oh, God, that... That, Lord, at this time of year and at every day of the year, Lord, our light ever increasingly shining in front of our friends that do not know you, our family. Our friends that are yet to know you, acquaintances, strangers. They would see our good works, God, wrought in you. Anything good in me is because it came out of me from you. And that would bring 
great pleasure, great joy, and great glory to you, Father, who is in heaven and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Earlier I prayed that you wouldn't be distracted by making a list of things you would have yet to do, that you've got yet to do before Christmas. Well, I do want you to make a list now. Just take your pen, just take a moment. We're just going to be silent for just a moment, just a few seconds. And I want you to take that pen in your hand and use whatever you can write on the handout from today and ask God to put on your hearts to pray for specific folks. One, two, three people. And ask God to rescue them. They have yet to know Christ. God has put you in their lives for a reason. And the greatest reason is to make him known. Ask God for that opportunity to be a light to them. So while the band plays, we're just going to take a second to do that. First ones that come into your mind. They may not even be near you right now. They may be in another city, another state. But God has put them on your heart that you will bring the light of Christ into the darkness of Satan holding them. Oh God, give us those names. Now I'm going to ask you to do something about what we heard this morning before we, before we leave the building. Um, we have lots of copies this morning at the welcome station of this little booklet. How good are you? I'm going to ask, I don't know how many we have, but would you just take this booklet and say, Lord, maybe even before the end of the day, maybe that's, that's the goal. Lord, before the end of the day, bring me in front of someone I either know or don't know and burden my heart to let them know how much Jesus loves them and hand them this powerful little track. This will be a way of letting our light shine before the world. Now, the, those on the prayer team, those who are coming forward to pray can come now and just want us to pray. We're gonna, Ronald's gonna sing a song and after we sing this song, I wanna encourage folks to come and pray. You know, the Bible says that God comes with healing in his wings. Maybe you're sick this morning. Let us pray for you. Maybe Christmas is a lonely time for you. You don't know the presence of God. Let us come and pray with you that the Spirit of God would fill your hearts. Maybe you're con convicted by the Spirit this morning that He has called you to let your light shine more than you have. He certainly has done that to me in preparing this. And then maybe this morning, maybe you have, maybe during this message, you have come to the light. You've given your life to Christ. Would you come and let us know that? If you've been watching live stream and you, you just said, Jesus, come into my life, would you let us know? Let us know at church so we'd be praying for you and get some information out to you as well. And anyone else burdened in their heart for themselves or somebody else, uh, just come. And let us pray for you. We'll do that after Ronald leads us in this last song. Let's stand together. If you need prayer, please start making your way down. as we sing let your kingdom come praying and hoping that the light of the kingdom of God would finally and forever banish the darkness that we have lived for far too long let's turn our voices let your kingdom come let your kingdom come let your will be done 
Father, our prayer is that your kingdom would come, that it would vanish finally, destroy the darkness. Christmas is a season of light, for the light of men has been born in Christ. Oh Lord, would you use us, Father? Would you empower us and encourage us to let this light that dwells in us shine? May this Christmas season, Father, be a season where light is birthed in the hearts of those who have dwelt in darkness. We pray these things, Lord, for your glory and for your purposes. In Christ, our light and our life. Amen and amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a good afternoon. Hope to see you next week.